0: Well, we are going through the letters of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. We're calling it letters from your dad. And that's because, remember, the author, Paul, is a spiritual dad to these Thessalonian Christians. But at the same time, this is God's word. So these are letters from our heavenly father, our dad, to us. The other reason we call it letters from your dad is because as we go through these letters, what we find is it's like packed with all kinds of like typical parental advice. In fact, today, what Paul's going to get into is talking about your future. I think about it. How many of you have had a dad who's like, what are you doing after high school? What are you doing after college? What's, what's in the future for you, right? That's typical. Like, if we have a five-year-old in here, it's like, yeah, my dad's on me, right? Like, that's very typical dad stuff to do. And so Paul's going to get after that. He wants to talk about our future. Of course, with Paul, it's a little bit of a different twist, In this case, the future for Paul is the end times, the return of Jesus, his second coming. And Paul said, hey, let's talk about your future. And there's a little bit of a twist in how he gets after it. Typical dad thing is, let's talk about your present activity and how that's going to impact your future. Paul goes the other way. He says, let's talk about your future and how that should impact your present activity. A little different approach, right? You'll see it. We'll get into it. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. This is the last chapter in the first letter, and we're into it. So here's how it starts. It says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, There is peace and security then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. All right, so he begins by saying, now concerning the times and the seasons. Times and the season, that's code word for the end times, all right, like the the end of the world, what happens. Uh, The big word for it is eschatology. That's the theology of end times stuff. And that's what is really in view here. And Paul gets after it by talking about the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Now, the Old Testament prophets spoke of the day of the Lord very, very frequently. It's a reference to the great and terrible day when God intervenes and punishes the wicked and saves or rewards the faithful. In Paul's writings, over and over, he equates the day of the Lord with the second coming or the return of Jesus Christ. But understand this. When, when we start talking about your future, when it comes to the day of the Lord, when Jesus comes back, that's kind of a big deal. Like you get that, right? Like that's a really big deal when it comes to your future. And so we got to talk about that. Now, as we go to talking about this end times, this eschatology stuff, first big point, really the main point of the whole thing is, well, I think we misunderstand why God addresses this stuff in his word. Like As pastors, we have people come to us all the time. We should study eschatology. We need to study the end times. Hey, let's go through the book of Revelation. <sighs> That's our response pretty much every time. <sighs> Why? Why? Because there is this like morbid curiosity about details about the future. And what it leads to is all kinds of timelines and charts and graphs and stuff like that. One of the issues on the table is this thousand years that the Bible speaks about. That's a millennium, right? And one of the questions is, is that a literal thousand years or a figurative, like a long period of time? And because there's differences of opinion on that, it leads to different camps. So you have the amillennialists, the pre-millennial, premillennialists, and the postmillennialists, and right now, if you're going, I have no idea what you're talking about, God bless you, stay right there, okay? Like, you're good, you're good, okay? Because even if you're in the pre-millennial camp, then you break down into pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pan-trib, whatever, like it's crazy, it just gets crazy. And so you really do get all these charts and graphs. I got them in my office, it's weird stuff. And and then you get into the signs, like there'll be wars and pestilence and earthquakes, uh, there'll be... Uh, Deceivers and people who abandon the Lord. And then, the, evidently, the, the sun goes dark and the moon turns red. And then you have the Antichrist. And some of you are like, that's Joe Biden, right? Like, and then the other half of you are like, no, that guy came four years ago. That's Donald Trump. Like, 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 now your politics are weaving into your theology. Stop it. Stop it. Oh, jeez. So all the question becomes, okay, what is the issue. What? What? How does this stuff pan out? What is it, Pastor Rick? Here's what Paul said: You have no need to have anything written to you. Huh? Yeah. Paul's saying you already know all you need to know in this area. You don't need all those details. What? How is that? He says, "Well, for you yourselves." are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That's what you need to know. You don't need all those details and charts. You need to know that Jesus is coming back and it's gonna be really surprising and, and shock us all. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Paul's like, good, period, done. Huh. Now, Redemption Chapel, we as a church do not have a declared position on this. If you look in our doctrinal statement, you won't find the word millennial premillennial, pre-millennial, I can't say that one, right? You try. Or post-millennial. Like you you won't find those words in there. Now as a pastor, I definitely have an opinion on it. So does Pastor Jared and Pastor Austin. So it happens that all three of our opinions are the same. We agree, but you won't find it and if you're wondering if I'm going to tell you this morning, no. Not going to do it. And the reason why is because what we're practicing is something I've heard called eschatological humility. What I mean by that is I want to be really, really dogmatic about the past. Because it's in the books. It's history. It already happened. right? I have lots of details. I've got a timeline about Christ's first coming that we just celebrated in communion. I'm like dogmatic about that. When it comes to the future, I want to hold that loosely because I could be getting it wrong. Remember, the people of God were the Jews and they had a lot of prophecy and they knew for sure what the coming of the Messiah would be like. That is going to be a military conquering Messiah. We know it. Oops, they got it wrong. I want to be dogmatic about the past, not about the future. And so what I know for sure is that Jesus came already, and he died for me, and he rose again. I got details I'm solid on, but when it comes to the future, I'm a little bit more fuzzy on those details of his second coming. And that's all right. Let me tell you why. Because my faith and my hope is in the details of his first coming, not in the details of his second coming. So, let me put it this way. When you go to the eye doctor, they show you this chart right here, right? And you're looking at that going, oh, I like that one. It's like big and blown up on a screen. I can read all of it. That's great. Okay, when you go, it actually looks more like this, right? (laughs) Oh, there it is. Yep, that looks about right. And your eye doctor's like, "Uh, all right, read the first line, E. All of us get E. We all get E, right? And then he starts or she starts pushing you to go deeper and deeper down the lines and they get fuzzier and fuzzier, right? And eventually you're just guessing, right? And when you're on that line where you're guessing, then the doctor says, read the next line. Dude, I couldn't read that one. I'm guessing a lot, right? It gets fuzzy when you get into the little details. We start squinting. Listen, Paul is saying, what you need to know about eschatology is the big E. That's it. You hold on to that. When you start to get into those little lines, they get fuzzy and you're squinting and you don't know. And that is okay. Stick with the big E. So what he doesn't do is give us a lot of details. What he does is gives us two analogies. Did you catch that? He gave us the analogy of a thief stealing from you in the night and then a a pregnant woman going into labor. And I'll tell you, they're actually the same thing because either way, they're stealing your life. I got two kids. They've been robbing me blind for two decades, all right? Like, it's the same thing. All right, I digress. Let me get back on point. The first analogy is a thief in the night. Now, it's not the fact that Jesus steals from us. He does the opposite. He laid down his life in order to give to us, right? But but the point here is that it's sudden and it's unexpected. Like, you thought your peace and, and, and insecurity, right? You had security, but, but nope, surprise. Like, if you didn't think you had peace and security, you'd be on guard. The the thief works with that, right? And so it comes suddenly and unexpectedly. By the way, the the phrase peace and security, that's not incidental, that's specific. That was the propaganda or the promise of Pax Romana, meaning that as the Roman Empire went and took on more territory, conquered countries and folded them into the empire, the promise, the propaganda was peace and security. So Paul's using that language because every government promises peace and security. Every politician promises peace and security. Every citizen wants peace and security. And the delusion is that we think we have it in this world. What is it that you think gives you peace and security? Now, time out because you're in church and you're gonna give me the Sunday school answer. Well, pastor, it's Jesus, hallelujah. Shut up, okay, like that? Stop it. Listen, if your real answer was Jesus, let me ask you this, why do you get worried? Why are you anxious at times? You're worried and anxious because your peace and your security is anything but Jesus. And so you're putting it somewhere else. Don't focus on worldly stuff. That's what Paul's saying. Don't put your peace and your security in stuff that can be stolen from you. You know, everything in this world can be stolen from you. You know what can't be stolen from you? The second coming of Jesus. That's the big E. That one's gonna be in the book. So don't worry. And if you put your hope there, we're going to be okay. What this does is it, it starts to reveal where your hope is. Okay, let me get at it this way. What if you're a bride? And your wedding ceremony is going to be in June. And we find out Jesus is coming back in May. How do you feel? Now listen, I don't mean to shame you. You're going to get excited about your wedding. You should. I get it. I did. That's okay. Okay. But as disciples of Jesus, there ought to be something within us that is more excited about the grand story of God than my little details of my life. Such that when I hear Jesus is coming back, I say, come, Lord, come. Let's wrap this thing up and take me home. We ought to be motivated by God's grand story. So the first analogy is it's going to surprise you. It's going to come like a thief in the night. Now, the second analogy that Paul gave is uh, he says, it's like labor striking a pregnant woman, which is awesome. Because now my task is as a dude to stand in front of an audience and talk authoritatively about pregnancy and labor. What could go wrong, right? Like, that's a great plan. Great, so here we go. So uh, when you're pregnant, you know labor's coming. But when it strikes, it's always surprising, right? Right? So here we are as disciples. We know Jesus is coming back, but it always, it's still surprising, right? Like, like, so you're pregnant and and you're miserable, you're hot, you're uncomfortable, your feet are swelling. So your husband plans a date to just pamper you and dote on you all night. And right before the date, that's when your water breaks. Like, dang it. But it's it's always inconvenient. It's never expected. And as soon as that happens, labor is in charge. The husband's not in charge he starts saying things like, well, in the class, they said you're supposed to breathe. Like, Shut up. Okay, dear. Like <laughs> the husband's not in charge. Okay, husband's not in charge. But even, even the pregnant woman's not in charge. Labor's in charge, right? So if the woman says, but I don't want labor to be today. Too bad. <laughs> Surprise, like there it is. You've got a nice opinion, but labor is in charge. So you know what you do? You pack a bag ahead of time, don't you? You, you anticipate, because if you wait for your water to break and then think, hey, what are my favorite PJs? Too late, right? So you've packed the bag that's sitting by the front door, your, your labor bag, your go bag, your ready bag, whatever it is, and, and you just grab it. If you try to pack it then it's too late. And Paul is our papa. Papa Paul is saying, listen, don't wait to get ready until that point. It'll be too late. Get ready now. Get ready now. All right, so those are the two analogies he gives in in lieu of details. Now, we're not done. Those are the only first three verses. We got more verses to get to. So let's pick it up in verse 4. He continues and he says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. All right, you know that feeling you get when you re-watch a movie? When you watch it for the first time, like you don't know what's going to happen, Right? And so there's details and nuances and foreshadowing. It's totally lost on you. You miss it, and then you get surprised by the ending. But when you re-watch the movie, all those little clues, like you know what's going on, right? And so second watching, you're probably in your home, and, and what you do is you scream at the screen, right? Like you're, you see those things happen, and you yell at them, no, don't touch that. No, don't go there. Like, don't go in the basement. Listen, never, never, never go in the basement. What does that go well? Right? Don't go. Th- and you're screaming, don't go down there. What's happening is you know the future, you know what's gonna happen, and you're yelling at the characters in the story saying, let that impact. Like, don't do that. That's what Papa Paul's doing. He knows the ending, and so he's he's yelling at his kids out of love, saying, Don't do that, do this. Be like this. And what he does is he says, hey, children of the world might be like that, but you. And he has a but you in there. And his but you leads to some reminders. He wants to remind us of some important truths that are packed in this passage. Let me point some of them out. The first one that he wants us to remember is Jesus already came for us. Remember, he said Jesus died for us. That was his first coming. That's what we celebrated through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus this morning. And the issue there is the Thessalonian Christians were really worried about the judgment day of God. And Paul's like, yeah, I mean, I get that. Judgment is going to be horrible. But here's the good news. Jesus already came for you. And he already died for you and he already paid it. So you're covered. Listen, if... Christ's second coming causes you anxiety and worry and fear. Meditate on his first coming. Because while we might not know all the details of the second coming, we know all the details of his first coming. So meditate on that. He loves you. He laid down his life for you. We're going to be okay. The second thing that Paul wants to remind them of is, he says, remember who you are in Christ, Remember your identity in Christ. When my kids were growing up, uh, when they would head out the door to catch the bus during grade school, they, uh, my, my wife would always say to them, hey, remember who you are. Remember your identity. Remember who you are and let that motivate you and direct you throughout your day. Remember who you are. Paul is saying, remember who you are. You are not in the darkness, he said. That's an issue of location. Then he said, you're not of the darkness. That's an issue of identity. Instead, he said, you are of the light. You are a child of the light. Now, remember when Jesus came, he had a lot of I am statements. I am this, I am that. One of the ones he said is, I am the light of the world. Remember, we were in darkness. Ah, oh, deep, dark darkness. In the dawn of Christ broke into our dark night and turned it into broad daylight. That's our story. And then Jesus also said, not only did he say, I am the light, but he said, you are, Christians, you are the light of the world. He, like, transfers that to us because he assumes if our identity is in Christ, in the light, then we are also of the light. We're child, children of the light. And so it's remember who you are. You're a child of the king. You're a child of the light. The third thing Paul reminded us of in this passage is he says, not only did Jesus come already, but he's coming back for you. He's coming back for you. One of the interesting things, when Jesus comes back, will it be during the night or during the day? Well, both. (laughs) You understand we're on a globe, right? You flat earthers, no love for you, okay? We're we're on a globe, which means half the planet's in darkness and half the planet's in light. So physically speaking, when Jesus comes back, half the planet will be in darkness, half in light. But here's the deal. Spiritually speaking, Spiritually speaking, for those who are not in Christ, that means, I'm not talking about religion, I'm talking about relationship, like you have not actually entered into relationship, redeeming, restoring relationship with Jesus. For those people, they are in darkness both now and when Jesus returns. For those of us who have put our faith in Christ and been adopted as children of the light, when we are right now in the light and when Jesus comes back for us, we are in the light. So it's some of both. But the point is that Jesus is coming back for us. Now, that will have some implications, and that's the fourth thing that Paul points out here and wants us to remember, and it is that we are destined to live with him for all eternity. Now, eternity is real, and it's really, really long, which makes it kind of important that, that we sort that thing out, right? Right? Eternity is real. Listen, if you are truly in Christ, you are destined for resurrection life for all eternity in paradise. We will have resurrected relationships with a resurrected Lord in our resurrected bodies on a resurrected planet. It's gonna be glorious. Paul's saying, listen, I want you to remember that. Remember that. This is the big E. Those four things, that's the big E on the eye chart right there. You don't get charts and details and graphs and all that stuff. But Paul is saying at the end of that passage, he said this stuff should encourage you. These things right there, they should encourage you. Listen, when we approach eschatology rightly, it encourages us. When we approach it wrongly, it's somewhat discouraging because I'm squinting at those little lines and I can't understand them, but I have to understand them. This is my future. What am I going to do? Paul's like, stop, calm down. Just, Just look at the biggie and it should encourage you. And the biggie is right there. Jesus already came for us. It's who we are in Christ. He is coming back for us and we are destined to spend all eternity with our risen Lord. That's encouraging stuff. People, listen, life is hard, isn't it? 2020 is hard, and we as disciples of Christ have to hold on to these things and let them actually emotionally encourage us. But what Paul is driving at is not just that it emotionally encourages us, but he wants it to change how we live. I don't know if any of you remember the movie A Little Princess. I might be dating myself and giving up my man card all at the same time. But there it is, A Little Princess. It came out in 1995. I was married only three years at that point, which means off to the movies I went (laughs) uh, to see a chick flick. And it's a great story of this precious little girl. Her mother had passed, but she had this sweet relationship with her dad. Her dad was wealthy, but also an officer in the British Army. War came, and so he had to go off to war. Well, what's going to happen to the little girl? She goes off to boarding school. Before too long, uh, it's discovered that her father is presumed dead, which means the checks to the boarding school are going to dry up, and she has really no protection. And so the boarding school starts to treat her not like a little princess, but like a slave. Changes quarters, changes clothes. She's scrubbing floors. The cool thing is all along... She remembers who she is. And she acts, even though they treat her like a slave, she acts like a little princess. Before too long then, it comes out that father is actually alive. And he comes back and he restores her and redeems her right in the presence of all those who treated her like a slave. That's a great story. They stole it. It's our story. That's our story. They ripped that off. That's our story. Listen, we have to be knowing who we are, knowing the full story, knowing that God is coming back for us and he's going to restore us. Therefore, it ought to impact how we live. Look how Peter put it. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. He said, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Okay? But check this part out. Look at this. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? See, we're We're children of the light. We're children of the king. We're supposed to act like royalty whether we're treated like it or not. How ought this impact our lives? Paul answers that question in 1 Thessalonians, in our passage. And I don't know if you caught it when I read it, but he said, so then. Okay, there's all these truths, all these things I want you to remember. So then. Here's how he wants it to impact our lives. He he said three things. Number one, he said, don't sleepwalk. Don't sleepwalk. right, He, he said, those who sleep, sleep at night. Evidently, there was not a lot of third shift back in that time, right? When you don't have electricity, you don't have third shift, right? But he said, let us not sleep as others do. See, when you sleep, what happens is you are technically alive, but you act like you're dead, right? You're unconscious to the waking world around you, right? And you're acting like you're dead even though you are alive. That's sleep. Now, in this context, Paul is saying what happens in your lives is you become spiritually disengaged. You you are living without a consciousness of the coming day of the Lord. You're, You're putting your hope in peace and security and worldly things, and you are asleep to the things of God, the things of the kingdom, the things of the gospel, the things of eternity. You're asleep to those things. You're sleepwalking through life. Paul's saying, wake up. This stuff is real. This stuff is our life. Quit sleepwalking throughout life. Listen, if you're a disciple of Jesus and you are not remembering these things and your life isn't impacted by these things, then I have to be honest with you and tell you, you're sleepwalking. Wake up. Wake up. So don't sleepwalk. The second thing he says is, don't live drunk. You catch where he was talking about drunkenness in there? He said, those who get drunk are drunk at night. Evidently, Paul didn't know about day drinking. Like, like he didn't know about wine with the wine. 3 p.m., shut up, you know, like, that's, stop it, all right? But, but listen, it's not about physical drunkenness. He's talking here about spiritual drunkenness. Because when you get drunk, what you do is you give control of your life over to something other than God. You give control of your life over to something in the world, some substance, and and you let it compel you. You are giving up your life. You're numbing your spiritual senses. One pastor said that the coming day of the Lord is a clarion call to spiritual sobriety. That we live sober. And so Paul is saying, don't live drunk. Since we belong to the day. Listen to how he put it. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Which means, since your identity is in Christ, let it impact your actions. And then the third thing he said is dress for battle. Dress for battle. Paul often talks about faith, hope, and love. This trio all the time. Here, he talks about it as armor of faith. Love and hope. The breastplate of faith and love. The helmet of hope. And and so he's saying these things are given to protect your lives. If you think about it, a breastplate protects from your neck down to your waist, and a helmet covers your head. That's all your vital organs right there. This stuff is given to protect our lives As believers, it's faith in Christ's first coming, hope in his second coming. It flows outward in love, in my actions. This is our armor. And Paul says, dress for battle. Why is it that we know that life is a battle and we walk out every day without our armor on? Paul's saying, stop that. Put your armor on. Dress for battle, dude. Dress for battle. All right. Let me ask you this. If you could predict the future, what would you do? You know you'd buy a lottery ticket, right? (laughs) Or, Or some stocks or something like that. However you answer the question, what you acknowledge in the moment is this. Knowing about the future should impact your actions in the present. Got it? That's what Paul's saying. Exactly. That's his point. Jesus' second coming, knowing that peace of the future, ought to impact our lives in the present. This is not just some weird area of theology. It ought to impact our actions. So, if you knew that Jesus is coming back tomorrow, what would you do today? And Paul's saying, get busy, man. Get busy. Let's do it. All right, let me wrap up with four takeaways. Four takeaways. Kind of the so what part. And the first one is this. Notice the direction of the flow. What I mean is this. What Paul didn't say is that you act a certain way and that leads you to get an identity from Christ. That's called religion. And that's not what he said. He said, actually, by grace, Jesus came and died for us. And by faith, you you were adopted as a child of God. You're given a new identity by grace. Therefore, let it impact your actions. That's the direction of the flow. Your identity impacts your actions. Your actions don't earn you the identity, right? Second takeaway is this. Maybe you don't belong to the light. Oh, this one's fun. (laughs) Um. But, but I, I, I have to be honest with you. Listen, if you're living like a child of the darkness, there's two possibilities. It may be that you don't belong to the light, you belong to the darkness. And as a pastor, I owe you that truth. And so I just need to tell you, your future is important. When Jesus comes back, it's important, and I want you in Christ. So it may be that you're a child of the darkness right now. But it also may be that you are a child of the light, but you're acting like a child of the darkness. How do you know? And if you're a child of the light acting like a child of the darkness, you ought to be miserable. And when you hear the forth of the word, there ought to be something that leaps in your heart. There ought to be some repentance flowing out of you. And if not, you might be lying to yourself. You might not actually be a child of the light living in darkness you might be a child of the darkness, living in darkness. And I don't want that for you. Well, that's fine. So let's move on to number three. And the the third takeaway is this. Notice where Paul focuses his attention when talking about eschatology. There's no charts and timelines and signs and dates and details. And I think this is the secret to the end times. Ready for it? You want the secret of the end times? Here it is right here. The secret of the end times is not details, but destiny. It's not information, it's identity. And it's not charts and graphs, it's change and growth. That's what ought to flow from prophecy. In fact, let me put it this way. Prophecy is designed not to satisfy your curiosity about the future, but prophecy is designed to motivate your discipleship right now in the present. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. And that's why I don't get excited when somebody says, hey, we need to read through Revelation. Because my suspicion in that moment is that it's all about curiosity about future obscure details, not about motivating my discipleship today. That's what prophecy is for. Listen, God doesn't want your detailed charts. He wants your changed heart. And if you have detailed charts but not a changed heart, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. That's not what prophecy is for. All right, number, number four, last thing. Instead of giving us a detailed chart and timeline, what God gives us is himself. He gives us himself. It's like we go to God and we want this detailed map of the end times so then I know how to navigate it in the future, and God says, no, but I'll give you a tour guide. I won't give you a map. I'll give you a tour guide. Listen, if you will, to Minnie Haskins' poem, The Gate of the Year. This is just a part of it, but she said, I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God that shall be better than light and safer than a known way. He doesn't give you a map. He gives you a tour guide. And so I want you to put your hand in his and walk with him this week and when he returns. And if your hand is holding on to Christ and he's holding on to you, you're going to be okay. No matter how the details shake out, you're going to be okay. And I want to pray for that. Bow your heads with me. Father God, I want and I wish for every person in this room to not be a child of the darkness, but to truly be a child of the light that we would be holding on to Jesus and him holding on to us. And that's our only hope. Not that my eschatology is tight and right. That's not it. Our hope is in our Lord. His first coming and the fact that even though I'm fuzzy on some of the details, I know he'll come back. And I know he's coming back for me. So Father God, I pray that you would help us focus not on the fuzzy, squinty little lines, but on the big E, that we know these things, we would remember these things, and then it would flow into our actions. We would live like it and not sleepwalk through life. Oh Lord God, through your Holy Spirit, would you wake us up this week, that this prophecy would not be about some obscure time in the future, but this prophecy would be about how I live this week. Do that in our lives, please. And I pray in Christ's name, amen.